All right. Welcome to the Advanced Training Podcast. Today we have Rob Minlianica on the line. So there are a couple of cool things to talk about Rob. One, he was an athletic trainer for the Jets. Number two, he did some crazy voodoo on James Uske in our gym, and he fixed a problem on this kid's lower back that I couldn't fix. And number three, he taped ankles on my last game as a head coach. But that's not what we're going to start with. Rob, today we're going to start with the first question about your dad. First off, Rob, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a while since you last spoke, so I'm excited to be on the show. All right, man. So this is a question that I had for you. I think I asked it to you one of the first times I ever met you, but I've dealt with a lot of football parents in my lifetime. I've been coaching high school football for about 20 years, and your dad seemed to be one of the only parents who ever really got it. You know, he would pick up things during a game that I did at halftime or adjustments I made in the third quarter. I remember specifically once against Fordham, I changed the coverage, and after the game, he came over and said, that was a great move. Another game against Chaminade, he came over and shook my hand for some changes that we made at halftime. How does he know the game so well, and what makes him appreciate football so much? So I think my my dad uh, appreciates the game as a both a player and as a coach. So I think that you know, as a, a parent on the sideline, he doesn't necessarily just look at uh, me or my brother playing. He sort of looks at the game as a whole um, on both sides of the ball, offense, defense, and special teams. So I think he uh, he truly understands, you know, the adjustments you have to make during a game. And uh, he both uh, – he coached my brother and I at Staten Island Boys uh, where, uh, you know, we both were on pretty successful teams. And then when we went into high school, he sort of wanted to take a seat back and, you know, sort of just soak it in and watch us play. And um, I think he's got uh, great respect for you. So uh, I think he understood, uh, you know, that you were making the correct adjustments and uh, he enjoyed that. So he understands it from a, a, both a, coacher, a coaching standpoint, a playing standpoint, and just as a parent enjoying the game. Well, I, I guess that says a lot because, you know, he was picking up things that only a coach would pick up. And I like the other part that you mentioned that your dad, he looked at the whole game because when I coached, your brother was a starting quarterback. Well, at least for the last two years, he had no reason to really care too much about what was going on defense, but he seemed to know a lot about what we we're doing. So let me ask you this. Was it tough growing up the son of a football coach? Um. Yeah, I feel like you, you're you're always held to a higher standard because um, I feel like, uh, to be honest, there's sort of like a stigma about, around like, oh, the coach's son is this, the coach's son is that. So I feel like, um, you know, you sort of have to hold yourself to a higher standard and, you know, always try to be working hard and uh, not make any mental errors and always try to do the best you can. But um, I always have great memories of my father coaching us and, and my brother, so – uh, I can't say it's too much pressure, but uh, I definitely enjoyed uh, that aspect. Well, of my I'm life. sure just like he picked up things about my coaching, I'm sure he would be able to pick up things about your playing <laughs> that a normal parent wouldn't pick up and maybe call you out back at the dinner table after a game. Oh, yeah, he always knew. He's like, oh, you took this play off. Oh, you should have tried harder. You should have cut this guy off on a reach block. You know, you get it. and most of the time it's, it's understandable. And it's the truth. And uh, sometimes it just takes an outside eye to, to call you out on your, your, your bad game. Now play. did your dad, when he was coaching football, was he running a similar style offense to what we ran at sea? He always seemed to have an appreciation for that hard nosed gritty type offense that we had. Yeah. So uh, when I was uh, at Staten Island boys, we had uh, on our squad, we had, 
we had a lot of talent. So we, we did, uh, we did throw the ball a lot, but um, once my dad sort of uh, started to take more uh, um, control of like my brother's teams, as they, uh, you know, I think they, they went from Staten Island boys to Staten Island Peewee. They actually incorporated the, uh, the double wing, which is what we ran at sea. And uh, it's, you know, a lot of people don't, uh, don't enjoy it. Um, but if, if it runs nice, it runs good. It runs smooth and it's hard to stop. So he did know uh, a lot about, uh, you know, both the skill positions and the offensive lineman position. So he knew that well, and he really enjoyed it when, uh, when it all worked out. Now, together. did he put that in because he saw what you were doing at sea or it was just like a, a, a weird consequence? Sorry, coincidence. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> well, it's sort of, uh, you know, any coach understands that, you know, you can have a vision of what you want to do, but you sort of have to play to your player's strengths. And uh, I think when it came to the personnel on the, on those teams that the double wing was uh, sort of fit the, the player talent when it came to, uh, you know, offensive linemen and maybe not necessarily the, the fastest, tallest uh, uh, players who could, uh, you know, play well out in space. So what, I want to keep this on the, the family theme your brother, when I get to St. Joseph by the Sea, he's known to me as Miggs. That was just his name. I, I meet you a few years later, and I'm calling your brother Miggs, and you said, no, no, I'm Miggs. So what's the truth? Is he Miggs? Are you Miggs? Had, had this name originated? <laughs> so this uh, this name originated so long ago, actually at Staten Island Boys as well. Um, it started with uh, Coach Mike Rodsky. He would um, – he would refer to myself as Migs and my, my dad is like Papa Migs and my brother as little Migs. And uh, it sort of just developed because my last name is fairly difficult to, uh, to pronounce. So it, uh, it went from Stanley boys. And even when I got into St. Joseph by the sea, that's what everyone called me. And still to my, to this day, all my friends uh, refer to me as Migs. So it sort of, it sort of just stuck from, you know, when I was like 10 or 11 years now, old. Now is it confusing because people also call your brother Migs? Well, uh, it depends on sort of what setting and, you know, if you're at school, uh, you know, maybe they'll call uh, me Migs or him Ryan. It depends if we're hanging out with his friends or my friends. But um, usually when someone says Migs, you know, maybe even all three of us <laughs> answer, my dad, myself and my brother. Yeah, I could picture her at the Thanksgiving table. Hey, Migs. Yeah, see, but no one, no one, no one else in my family uh, actually I mean, refers to anything like that. It's literally just any anyone who stemmed from like football or St. Joseph by the Sea. So your brother, he to me, he's kind of a loose cannon. You know, uh, he played with I'd say ninety five percent of motion. He would he, he was a quarterback for us his last two years, and he would go out of his way to just crush people, carrying the ball or blocking. You seem more like a logical, cerebral type guy. How are you two related? <laughs> Well, when it comes to like our personalities, we're, we're very different. You know, he, he does everything with passion and uh, swagger and enthusiasm. And he's always, um, you know, the, the loudest guy in the room. I'm a, I'm a little bit more laid back. And I, I think that comes from, you know, in a football aspect, uh, you know, my brother played uh, defensive back and quarterback and running back. And I think those are a little bit more, uh, you know, sexier positions than uh, offensive line. You know, I think, uh, as an offensive lineman, you sort of got to stay uh, pretty even and um, 
not get too high or too low. So I think when it comes to football, I think it was just uh, position differences. But also I developed a little bit more of a, I guess, a, uh, a logical personality um, just because of the profession that I'm in. Because when you're, you're taking care of someone else's health, you sort of, you know, you need to always be thinking very rationally and um, not make decisions out of emotion and uh, really understand the whole situation as a whole. So I want to take a, I want to pause with the profession you're in because I have to get to this other story that I like about you and your brother, but then we're going to get into that profession. So uh, I remember there was a time where you were both training with us. And at the time, for whatever reason, I was making it that for every workout you missed, you got, you had a add more burpees to a cumulative number of burpees. So say uh, you missed one workout, you've got five. It was the second workout, you added another five, so now you got 10. If you, had, if you missed a third workout, it became 15. It just kept going and going and going. There was one morning, you guys live obviously in the same house. You show up, he doesn't. I say, where's your brother? You say he wouldn't get up. And I think he held it over on you for the remainder of that training, that, that whole training season. Why'd you leave him? <laughs> well, I feel like... Um... You know, I joined then. Um, it was a it was only a short amount of time that I was there uh, for that break. I think I was home from school, and uh, you know, I knew my brother was training. He was still playing football, and uh, I wanted to you know hang out and lift with him. And uh, obviously, I knew you well, so I wanted to you know get training in. But um, I remember waking up in the morning, going upstairs to his room. Hey, Ryan, you coming? He's like, Nah, I'm tired. And I just didn't want that to be like, Okay, well, since he's not going, I'm not going. So uh, it was always fun to just, you know, show up because uh, I guess Ryan was more well-known. He was training with you guys for a while. So when I would show up and he wouldn't, um, we would, you know, I guess uh, catch people by surprise. And uh, it was always fun to, you know, go back and say, oh, hey, Ryan, everyone was asking about you. And uh, by the way, I did 25 reps, 225 while you were sleeping. So it's always a little competition. Yeah, you you guys would get heated to the point that I was always worried there'd be some sort of physical altercation in the gym, especially after that day. He seemed like <laughs> he always for doing that, but I almost felt like you taught him a lesson by not waiting around for him. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like at that time in our lives, we're both grown men who make our own decisions. So, uh, you know, you sort of take the cards that are dealt to you and, I was getting up and getting after it, and he was sleeping. So I had never actually coached you in football, but you decided to come train with us in that winter. I think it was 2014, and then you carried through a little bit through early 2015. What was going yeah. on in your life at that time that you said, you know what, I, I want to train with advanced training? So I was um, – it was in between break. I think I was still doing my undergrad, um, and I hadn't uh, – I hadn't played football uh, for a few years, so I still had my playing weight, um, which I wanted to get off. And I just, you know, I, I've always been around, uh, you know, competition and, you know, uh, working out and lifting. So I really wanted to just be in the environment. You know, it was I knew that everyone uh, training with you was, uh, you know, a good person. Everyone had a um, the same goal and I knew pretty much everyone. So. Um, I said, hey, why not? My brother's doing it. I get to spend some extra time with him, hang out, um, learn some stuff and, uh, you know, get stronger while I'm doing it. So it was, uh, that was definitely something that, uh, I enjoyed because I hadn't had any structured lifting since, you know, I stopped playing football. So now I want to, I'm going to, this is a great segue into the profession that you have now. What are you, what are you doing now? What's going on in your life right now? 
So I'm currently in chiropractic school in St. Louis, Missouri at uh, Logan University. I'm about halfway done. So it's going You well. are going for your doctorate, is that correct? Yes, so it is a doctorate in chiropractic. So I'll be a chiropractic physician. So what made you get into this quote-unquote business of, uh, of healing people? So I was an athletic training major at Alfred University where I did my undergrad. And uh, it sort of gave me a, a way to be around athletics. You know, I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, being uh, competitive athletics my whole life. So I figured that this would give me the opportunity to be around it and sort of help people because, you know, everyone always gets nagging injuries and, you know, uh, season ending injuries. And it's good to be, uh, be someone who provides that stability and uh, ability to sort of get back to, uh, to playing shape and get back on the field. So started to do that and then uh, sort of just took off from there. And, was there anything in your life that specifically triggered you to get into that field? Was there a specific moment? Was there an injury you had? Did a friend of yours get hurt? What made you want to do it? Um, I, I actually went into Alfred as a, like I declared my major as a athletic training. And um, I knew a little bit about the profession because we had some, uh, some per diem independent contractor athletic trainers who used to cover our games at sea and, you know, it was, it was fun. You know, you got to be around athletes. You got to, uh, you know, be there for emergency situations. You got to get people back from their injuries. It was just something that, that I enjoyed. And then uh, I think I always wanted to do it, but um, I think there was a point in time in my undergrad career that I sort of had to, do I want to you know, put forth all my effort to being the best athletic trainer or continue to sort of do some other things in my life that sort of took um, uh, more time away from uh, maybe doing like the, the clinical rotations it takes to, to become an athletic trainer. So as a person who was doing athletic training, how did you feel in hindsight about Coach Manos' drill of running away from the trainer? So just for those that don't know, that we actually had a drill where a trainer would, a fake trainer would walk up to a kid at camp and his, the kid's job was to run away from the trainer because the trainer would absolutely take that kid out of the game and probably not let him play for the next four to six weeks. So again, how did you feel? How do you feel about that drill in high? Yeah. So I know thinking back on it now, that's, that's just something that you want to instill toughness on your, 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 your kids, you know, your, your athletes, because I feel like uh, sometimes just so I, I rolled my ankle, um, I could walk it off. I'll be fine. Or sometimes there's more serious uh, things that happen where, you know, you need to, uh, the coach definitely would understand uh, the athletic trainer's uh, intentions of taking a player off the field. And I feel like uh, back then there was sort of a fight between uh, toughness and uh, legitimate injury that most of the time, uh, you know, kids back in high school probably didn't have any serious injury that warranted, uh, you know, extended missed time. So and you could tell me if this is too uh, taboo of a subject to talk about with you, but I feel like at the level that you're working, the intention of the trainer could be different. So, for example, you worked for the Jets, which I want to cover next, but when you work for the Jets or a college team, it seems like many times it's in everyone's best interest to keep that athlete on the field as long as it's not causing more damage or you know putting them in physical harm to keep them on the field to win. I think in certain situations that uh, some high schools are in, that trainer, they're not part of the team. The guy is there just for that Saturday. Uh, he may just have one side of what he's seeing, 
So he's he doesn't have that emotional connection to everything that's been going on over the week. Am I, am I way off base, or is this is this something that you're seeing as well? No, it's definitely um, something that is out there, and it's 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 relevant topic because, um, unfortunately, in um, in New York, I'm pretty sure that it's not a mandated that there has to be an athletic trainer uh, at each high school. So I know in the state of New Jersey that every um, high school actually has a full-time athletic trainer. So uh, you sort of get to put together your emergency action plans and uh, get to know the athletes and the coaches on a more personal level. And you, you become more invested in the program, but you're, you're definitely right when, you know, when someone has less um, emotional investment, they sort of uh, don't necessarily care because they don't have to deal with it on Monday. You know, it's, it's, I see it for one day and I make sure uh, nothing too serious happens and, that's it. See you later. You got someone new next week. So I think, uh, I think as the, you know, the medical profession sort of evolves, um, having an athletic trainer on staff at each high school will sort of be um, the norm. And, and we certainly did. And I, you know, there were many times that I wish we had one just thinking, man, we're at camp. Who knows what could happen? I know we're ultra safe and we, we do a lot for injury prevention and we try to prevent heat exhaustion and we're trying to prevent rolled ankles as best we can. But, you know, where you're kind of rolling the dice if you don't have a trainer there, which is why I want to get to this next point. Uh, you came to tape ankles for us before my last game as a head coach, which I am very thankful for. What made you want to do that? Just volunteer your time on a Saturday to tape a bunch of an tape ankles for kids you don't even know. Yeah, so I was uh, on another break from uh, from Logan, and uh, I knew that, uh, you know, there's some high school football going on, and uh, – one of my good friends, Joe Roman, was on your staff, and I just reached out to him. I knew I was like, hey, you got an athletic trainer there. And uh, I think there might have been someone from uh, like an outreach from another program, but no one necessarily specifically just to, to help you guys out in the locker room pregame. And um, it's just something I enjoy. You know, you like being around you know, you know, younger athletes, really, you know, leaving it all in the field and trying hard and uh, – you know, wanting to, uh, you know, get hyped up before the game is just, it's good camaraderie and something you miss. So anytime I have an opportunity to, uh, to volunteer some time with, uh, with, you know, people who, you know, I enjoy, then I'm all about it. So I appreciate you letting me do that. Cause that was, uh, I enjoyed it. it, was it. Hey man, it was, it was it's pretty time. cool when you tell a high school kid, Oh, by the way, this guy used to work for the jets. Kids eyes light up, you know, they're, they're ready to go. People are getting their ankles taped. They never had their ankle tape before in their life. You know, so uh, it, it was, yeah. it was pretty cool for me just to have you do it. So thank you. So let, let's talk about this. How did you end up working for the jets? I heard you have a pretty good re story of resiliency. here. Yeah, it is. Um, it is a complete enigma on how to, uh, get uh involved in a nfl program so there's no application process there's no um go online fill this out and we'll get back to you it's sort of either who you know or how do i figure out how to get my name in into the building so uh i basically knew that i wanted to work higher level football because i worked at uh alfred university as a student athletic trainer and then at kane they're both division three programs. And, you know, I learned a lot there. And I think that um, not to take away of anything from division three, but I just feel like sometimes um, I was just left. Like I wanted some, wanted to do some more, like I wanted to provide more care. I wanted to, um, you know, 
I just wanted a little bit more of what I was doing. So I figured I, you know, I really want to work in the NFL. So the only way I knew how to do it was I searched um, on the internet, the addresses of each home facility. And then I searched for the email address of every head athletic trainer and assistant athletic trainer for every team. Every, every, every single, every, every single team, every single team. So I wrote a personal letter, printed it out and signed it and mailed it to the facility. And then I emailed every head athletic trainer and assistant athletic trainer on staff, um, basically introducing myself and, uh, you know, that I sent, uh, you know, an application with a cover letter and resume to the facility, you know, same thing. I appreciate, uh, you know, if you could contact me back, uh, it's something I'm interested in and you sort of just wait. So I did this for, uh, three seasons pretty much. So it's a lot of paper and a lot of emails that got sent out. So during those three seasons, what were you doing? So in the NFL, uh, as an athletic training uh, intern, you could either be a summer intern or a seasonal intern. Uh, summer interns pretty much work um, for, you know, eight weeks. It's uh, OTAs, mini camp, training camp, and the preseason. So those are students who are usually um, either going into their senior year in high school or in between their graduate school years. Because usually as an athletic trainer, grad school is two years. So in between that, you could go get uh, – eight weeks of uh, extra work in and then a seasonal athletic trainer sort of is a full-time athletic trainer but for a more extended uh, period of time and with a larger role so you're there pretty much as soon as you graduate and until you're done and each team is different some teams keep players on uh, uh, trainers on for two years one year and it's sort of uh, up to the team to decide uh, when you're when you're finished but uh I was a summer intern between my graduate assistant years and then a seasonal intern after. So um, I was local with the Jets. So it was, you know, it cost them zero dollars to bring me in. So, uh, you know, once you get in the door, um, you sort of just, you got to work hard and you got to be lucky. So that's what happened. And were you a Jets fan? I'm a Houston Texans fan. That's really weird. Why are you, why are you a Houston Texans fan? Um, uh, they were an expansion team in 2002 and back in the day when I used to play Madden, I just always wanted to play Madden with the Texans. I don't know why, cause they were not good, but, uh, pretty much ever since they, uh, they came onto the league, I was uh, a fan. So I've been, I've been there during the, the rough times. So and I respect, I respect uh, that you take yeah. a bad team in Madden. There's a lot to be said about that. As yeah. A person. Yeah. Now, what were you before you were a Texans fan before this team existed? Um, my, my dad's a diehard, uh, giant fan. So, um, I always rooted for the giants and, uh, you know, have a lot of uncles who are Jets fans. And, uh, so I do, I did root for like New York sports, but I didn't have like, uh, that true, like allegiance to either one of do them. Do you think he was like so, uh, secretly proud and secretly hated that you worked for the Jets? <laughs> um, you know, I think it was, uh, it was definitely like, oh man, I wish it was the other side, but, uh. You know, any anytime you can get an opportunity to work at that level, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, the best team or the worst team. It's, uh, you know, it's an opportunity that, you know, probably, you know, a couple hundred or a thousand uh, kids apply for. So if you get that opportunity, it's it's a really great accomplishment. And he was definitely proud of me because, you know, it's 
took a lot of time and effort to to get my foot in the door. And that's a great a it's a great learning experience. B it's a great stepping stone to whatever you want to do next. And I you know I got to go back a step because you said you worked at Kane as an athletic trainer, and I believe you had told me you worked with basketball and football players. And at least in my mind, when I when I would train them or watch basketball games, there's a lot of similarities in terms of starting, starting, stopping, jumping, acceleration. It's a similar type sport minus intended. I'd say uh, contact, you know, in football, I'm trying to kill you, but in basketball, there's just some, I guess, unintentional contact. Having said that, did you see similar injuries between those types of athletes, football and basketball players? Um, I think that not necessarily similar injuries because, you know, an ankle sprain is an ankle sprain. If it's, you know, a, a dislocated shoulder is a dislocated shoulder, no matter where it occurs. But I feel like each sport had a, uh, sort of uh their group of injuries that sort of occurred more often like in football you have a lot of shoulder injuries and knee injuries um just due to the fact that it's you know it's an aggressive game and you know people get hit and people um uh they get jacked up on special teams and they fall and they get hurt and that's you know way more aggressive than running down the court and getting checked for a layup but um in basketball it was it was the ankle you know everyone had uh, some sort of foot and ankle injury. And, uh, and I think that was much so due to uh, the shoes. You know, every every basketball player has like a whole lineup of shoes that they would wear for practice or for the games. And as far as I understand, if you're playing football, you maybe have, you know, one or two pairs of cleats that you wear all season. At least that's what I did. So I think that that's sort of what led to um, the lower extremity injuries in basketball. So tell, but, tell me more about this. Are, are they, are they have, what do they have a locker filled with eight different pairs of sneakers? So um, I know at Kane, you know, you'd have, you know, athletes wearing a few different types of shoes, um, whether that was, you know, switching between different types of um, models for the same company or uh, what was popular and new in that style. And I feel like, um, there is a bunch of popular shoes out there that came out for basketball that weren't necessarily the most uh, supportive on the um, the foot and ankle. And um, I think when you're switching up your your uh, your base, you're switching up what you know your shoes. I think that leads to lower extremity injuries. And I feel like in football, I know I know I did it. I, I feel like a bunch of people do it. They you know they find a cleat that really fits them well, doesn't bother their foot, whether they're playing on turf or grass, and um, they sort of stick with that and try to, you know, match that model year after year. So I think it's more stability in, you know, the type of footwear that they wore. But in basketball, definitely a lot more variability in, in shoes. And I think that, that contributed to some injury. So you're saying that they're not getting into some normal pattern with their footwear. They're constantly changing their shoes. So this may lead to increased ankle injury. Um, I mean, that was just my, that's just my opinion. Uh, I do feel that uh, when you're 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 changing things up, and maybe one day you wear high tops and low tops, and sometimes the shoes don't even have laces anymore today. Sometimes they're just straps, and I just feel like uh, that variability could possibly lead to to some negative effects. And now, how did how does a basketball player versus a football player treat recovery? I'll tell you, my, in my college career. I tried my my best to never, ever, ever go into the training room because I was a stupid meathead that thought it was soft to go in there. Uh, 
And then now I feel like I would have taken a lot more advantage of it now that I've got older and somewhat smarter. But in your mind, basketball players and football players, the, the modern athlete, do they have the same mindset about recovery? Uh, it's a little different. I feel like uh, your outlook still holds the same today. You know, a lot of football players, uh, they want to, you know, muscle it out for, you know, half the season until, you know, they can't handle it anymore. Then they come to the training room and they come up to us and they're like, oh, well, I, this has been bothering me since week two. Well, you know, it's week 11. Well, we could have, you know, we could have made this uh, more bearable for you. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely a toughness factor, but in basketball, you have way less athletes and you have multiple games a week. So if you, if you try to muscle something out, you're, you're going to be missing way more of a, of a game percentage of your season. So you're sort of, uh, I sort of see that the basketball players will a little bit more, uh, um, okay with coming forth with injuries and, uh, you know, doing uh, their due diligence in the, in the weight room and the training room, just because of the fact that, you know, if you have three games a week and you get hurt, you, and say you miss two weeks at six games right there, that's a significant chunk of your season. So I think it has to do with just the, uh, the frequency of game. So I, I'm going to go back to me again, because I would always, we had, we had mandatory check-ins to the training room after every game. You literally had to go in and check off your name and say that you went there. And I would just look down on anyone getting any sort of therapy or recovery treatment just because I was an idiot. Uh, what would you tell someone like me? Like, What would be a good sales pitch to make them not feel soft for going in and actually taking care of themselves? Um, I think you just need to understand that there's a difference between um, I'm sore. I just played a football game. And... Uh, there's an actual problem. You know, I, I did sprain my ankle. I do remember hearing this pop. I do remember, you know, this situation where um, I did feel some instability in my shoulder. So I think there's a difference between, you know, utilizing the training room for its um, evaluation and treatment purposes to sort of treat an actual injury, a structural problem, or, um, or it's, I'm sore, you know, you didn't pull your hamstring, but you just have some hamstring soreness because you ran down on kickoff five times. Now, when you were with the Jets, I just took a tour of the Dolphins facility in December, and I thought it was pretty cool. They had a whole building dedicated to recovery, including it was kind of like a spa. It was like a place where you can get massaged and stuff like that. Is that something that was at the Jets facility when you were there? Yeah, so we have um, pretty large well, – we had um, when I was there a uh, pretty large training room um, – sort of, uh, you know, a table treatment area, which you got more, um, more passive, uh, treatments. And then we had a more, uh, open gym space, I guess, to do more active therapy and exercises and mobility and stuff. And then we had a wet room that had, um, um, a hydro works tub, which is, uh, you know, basically an underwater treadmill and then two, um, tremendous, uh, hot and cold tubs. And that was a little separate from, the strength and conditioning um, room. Uh, and then in the weight room, you know, they did their own prevention and, and uh, mobility exercises. So it was a little separate, but, you know, we had, we had everything we needed for recovery. We had, um, you know, all the new toys that you could think of for recovery, whether it's, uh, you know, Normatec boots or the, uh, um, the Farraguns, we had all that. So I think each team pretty much, you know, money's not an option. So you, you got to get the, you know, the newest uh, and most effective stuff to sort of keep your athletes uh, comfortable. And truthfully, 
those guys are your they're your product, right? Like they are the the product that's going out on the field every week. They need to be healthy. And I'm I'm just sitting as you're talking, I'm thinking, why was I so stupid? And now I'm so into recovery. It's probably a bigger part of my life than anything else. Was actually getting mad at me for not thinking of myself as my own product. You know, this my body is my tool type of thing. Uh, I'm probably limping around a little bit today because of my stupidity back in college. Well, the thing in, in the NFL and in any pro sports, it's your body is your, your future. Your body is your, your kid's tuition. Your, your body is, um, is your means to, uh, you know, to like make a living. So it's, it's more of, um, you know, you're on top of it because if you get hurt, you're losing money. If you, if you miss a game, you're missing a game check. You know, it's, it's more, uh, financially beneficial for you to become as, as, uh, as most involved as possible in treating your body the right way. Yeah. And look, I'll double down on that because I'll say, even if you're not a professional athlete, uh, if you're a dad, you know, you're going to be a better dad. If you can pick up your son or play catch with your, your daughter or, you know, be active or move furniture around your house. Or if you're in corporate America and you walk into a meeting with energy and able to move and you're alive, you know, you're going to get much more results. than if you're walking, gimping in there, hating life because your lower back is killing you, you know? So, yeah, I think, I think no matter what your own personal health, it is your paycheck. It is your life. It is your livelihood personally and financially. So, man, I was a stupid kid getting mad at myself right now. Let's, uh, let's, let's reset back to you though. So, uh, and I'm using the word reset because you did some sort of voodoo, in our gym one day and I, I take a lot of pride in being able to diagnose a guy in the gym and, and sometimes I won't know why I won't know uh, biomechanically why something's happening or what the science is behind it but I'm pretty good at evaluating and maybe making a good guess but there was this one guy in our gym James Uske his lower back was hurting him and I couldn't figure it out and then you come in and you do some voodoo and then he's healed what did you do to this guy yeah so uh I think uh I think there's a big difference in, in between like uh, having like formal uh, medical training and being able to sort of recognize, you know, uh, deficiencies or injuries or dysfunction. Um, and I think having a formal medical training sort of allows you to see things from a different point of view than like a strength conditioning coach, which, you know, is an expert in biomechanics and I think when uh, they both work together, you have great results. But I think I just saw um, an opportunity to uh, do something. I, I used to do this this move on all of my athletes who had a sort of a back pain, just as a um, you know something to do to loosen them up. It's it just worked. It was it was sort of like a, a hybrid move, uh, like a resisted uh, exercise or a, um, a hybrid PIR like pelvic adjustment. And uh, it's nothing fancy and, you know, people have been doing it for years and it just, uh, it's what he needed. You know, you can do as much mobility work as possible if, if uh, sometimes if you just, you know, you don't get something to move properly the way it needs to move, it's, you're just going to have pain until it, it gets moving. Now, how did, so, how did you know that his pelvis was potentially the cause of his lower back pain? Um, a lot of the times stuff that manifests in the, uh, the hips and the uh, SI joints um, and anything lower extremity could sort of uh, come back to uh, give you some low back soreness. And obviously everyone who's in uh, advanced training is in pretty good health. So um, chances are, if there's no, uh, you know, like acute traumatic event that caused his low back pain, um, 
then it was probably just due to some stiffness um, in a couple of those joints, you know, from him sitting on the bus. I, I, I think you said he just sits on the bus uh, for hours a day going to and from work. And I think sometimes uh, that just – He still um, does. James, yeah. if you're listening to this right now, you still do. Sorry. <laughs> and I hope his back's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about the other day because I think he had tweaked it again maybe a, a few months ago. He plays a lot of sports outside, you know, intramural, I don't know if it's called intramural basketball, pickup basketball in a league, and he plays flag football. He's still playing like he's a 21-year-old guy, but he said he tweaked up his back again. That's why we were talking about you. Well, he should go see a chiropractor. <laughs> we might have to have you make a guest appearance in one of our Tough Man sessions coming up. Get this guy's back back in shape. I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. So, As an athletic trainer, not a chiropractor yet. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there eventually. I want to rewind back to 2014, 2015, going back to, to you in advanced training. Now that you know what you know, is there anything that you would change about yourself back at that time? The way you train, your mindset, what is it? I mean, now that you know what you know, you know all this new stuff from, from that point on. Yeah, I definitely um, – I feel like I sort of got lazy. You know, you, I stopped playing football and uh, – I sort of stopped focusing on, you know, the weight room and I was eating the same way. I just pretty much felt terrible. I was in bad shape. And, uh, you know, being involved with advanced training at that time sort of was like uh, one of those stepping stones for me getting back in good health. So I think that just getting my mind back into uh, sort of a serious um serious way was was big with me just getting back in shape so I don't think uh I don't think I'd change anything about it I, I mean I I feel like I uh I put myself you know in your hands and I think that you you do a great job at you know getting athletes in shape and and stronger so that was the different thing that I wanted to do was was come and hang out with you guys and just get stronger well I gotta say I love when a guy a trains with us and then b takes what we're doing and then takes it to another level one, just I guess from a selfish perspective, I just love you'll, – you'll send me texts about new stuff that you've learned or your comments on a podcast that we did, and then I get to learn from you. So I love that full evolution of, yeah, I was the teacher, and now I am the student learning from a guy who's doing this at a, at a higher level than I am. So I'm glad you came back. I'm glad you did what you did because I love every second of it, and hopefully I get another chance to say, hey, this guy from the Jets is taping ankles for our team today because that, uh, that was a pretty sick moment in my life. I know it was for those kids. Yeah, I even used some of the some of the movement patterns that we did back then as uh you know, I incorporated those into my treatments because I thought I was in in a, a decent athlete. So, you know, if something was was difficult uh um for me to do, then it was probably difficult for some of my athletes to do. So, I actually incorporated some of those same moves that that you know, you had on the schedule into some of my rehab. So, I learned I learned more than just uh how to incorporate it into strength training incorporates uh, all the all of your stuff into rehab as well. That is awesome. That that means a lot, man. Thank you for saying that. All right, so we're gonna get into some general, uh, say, rapid fire questions. Are you prepared? Yes, sir. Go. All right. So the first one is: when you think of advanced training, what's the one word that pops into your head? Commitment. Beautiful. Now, let me ask you this. Is it what was the hardest part of commitment? Was it just showing up? Was it getting up? Was it getting through the workout? What was it? Yeah, it sucks getting up that early and, and you know, having to you know, get on a different level mentally and physically than um, 
than you'd like, you know, no one wants to get up that early and go a uh, hundred miles an hour, but you got to do it. So I think if you're, if you're committed program, you make sacrifices of, of some sleep and, you know, get after it. So sleep or a social life or watching good TV shows late at night, that all kind of goes away. Yeah. Yeah. You got to pick what's important to you. All right. Uh, is there a failure in your life or an apparent failure inside or outside of training that actually helped you get some success in your life? Yes. So however many applications I, uh, sent out and got no's from or no answers from at all. I actually have a drawer at home and, uh, with a bunch of letters uh, and emails that I printed out that says, Oh, I'm sorry. We, uh, we looked at your, your stuff and we didn't think that, uh, you were the best fit for this position. So I think every no, uh, that I've ever gotten for, uh, applying for all these NFL positions, uh, set me up to, uh, you know, make sure that, uh, I was as persistent as possible and, you know, took every opportunity uh, to its uh, um, its maximum potential. So I think getting all those no's was definitely a, a big thing that led to my success. And I, I, I'm not speaking for you, but I'm just guessing that, you know, you're going to have this long career ahead of you and there's going to be times where you don't get a job, but you've already heard no so many times that you're not going to have some fear of applying for a job. You're just going to go for it, right? You're not going to lose that opportunity because of fear. And then you're going to land the big one. When, you, when it matters most. All right. So what is the worst training slash re- recovery advice you have ever gotten in your life? Um, I guess it would be to just throw ice on it. You know, I, I feel like um, when you recover, people just associate that with, you know, put ice on it. And uh, I pretty, pretty much every time I ever got hurt or had some, um, you know, some aches and pains, you, you, you don't feel good with ice. You feel stiff. And I think that that sort of carries over and to, uh, you know, rehab too. Like, why would you want to, you know, mobilize tissue and um, warm up, uh, you know, a joint complex and then put ice on it and stiffen it up? It just doesn't make sense to me. What was the worst advice you have ever given? Um, same thing. Uh, you learn, you know, the whole rice protocol, you know, and I think that uh, putting ice onto something that's, uh, you know, that you just did rehab with, same thing as I said before, if you, if you, you have an issue, uh, whether it's, you know, general soreness or you have uh, an injury and you're, you're trying to uh, activate different uh, musculature and, you know, um, you know, correct mechanics and, um, I think if you put ice on something, uh, I think you get stiff and that's something that I, that, you know, you learn in school. So that's something that I used to give to my athletes all the time. Oh, we just did rehab here. Let me wrap an, uh, an ice bag on it. And, uh, it's definitely not something that I do as much today. So when you heard my, the, the podcast that we had with Gary Reinel about don't ice that ankle, was it, Oh my God, this, I'm finally hearing this from somebody else. Or is this starting to become common practice now in your world? Um, well, I actually use the Mark Pro and uh, we use that at the Jets quite a lot. So um, I definitely was had a little bit uh, backing of education on, on that system. But it, I think, you know, it makes perfect sense. And just it just takes someone to, uh, you know, to put plant an idea in your head um, about why, you know, this thing doesn't work and this thing does work or this thing might work better than that. 
and uh it's definitely uh when i when i listen to that it it definitely you know evened out that hopefully that in the future uh, more people do active care instead of you know uh, passive throw bag of ice on it type of thing hallelujah all right what is one life lesson you learned from high school football that has carried over with you to this day one life lesson um I guess it would be to, uh, um, you said earlier, you said, just show up. So, uh, a lot of the times, you know, whenever you, uh, you're in life and you're like, ah, I don't want to go do this cause it's awkward or it's going to be difficult or, um, I'm not prepared. Um, I think you just gotta understand that if you just show up and, uh, you're, you're forced to being prepared, you're, you're forced to taking on those, uh, those issues that you didn't want to take care of. I think, uh, you know, Coach Miles used to say that all the time, and it's probably one of the best things that uh, I came away with because so it takes you out of your comfort zone because you just got to get in there and um, take care of the job regardless of what it is. Yeah, I, I see that with advanced training. Guys say, I want to work out, but I'm embarrassed. <clears throat> I worked out in a while. Just come. Or I wanted to get there today, but I'm tired. Just get just get there. You know, the hardest yeah. part is getting there. The workout will take care of itself. Just Just get there. All right, two more questions. One, uh, second to last one. If you could put anything on a billboard outside of a gym or a football field, what would it say? So there was a saying in the Jets facility um, that sort of stuck with me. I don't know if they came up with it, if their strength staff did, or if it's a quote from something else, but it's uh, blame nobody, expect nothing, and do something. And I think that if you, you break <laughs> you break those down, it's sort of uh, – you know, pretty surreal that, you know, all the, all the blame is on you. No one can control what you do except for you. And uh, I think if you have high expectations and those expectations don't get meet, don't get met, then uh, you're going to, you know, let yourself down. And uh, the only way to uh, sort of follow up with those last two is to do something. So if you don't prepare, then you're going to have low expectations and you're going to have no one to blame but yourself. So those three uh, little lines, I think, really, really hit me when I saw that. I love that. I'll tell you how much I love it. Our offensive line coach at Columbia, this is a thousand years ago when I played football, he put that in the offensive lineman manual. I was not an offensive lineman, but I loved it so much that I took it and pinned it in my locker. So Yeah, I don't even know where that came from. All right, last question. This is my selfish question that I ask everyone to end every podcast. What is something that you can teach me or tell me about on how to simplify or remove clutter from my life? So when I think of clutter, um, obviously I think of more of like mental clutter because, you know, you got a lot of things going on. You got work, you got your social life, you got, um, you know, things that you enjoy. I think that if you sit down and understand uh, um, this is the list of things that are, are causing me stress that I can take care of, right? I can directly affect this list of four or five things then you could take the list and say, okay, well, these other four or five things, I, I, there's nothing I could do to affect that. So you can keep stressing about those things, but no matter what you do, you're not going to affect it. So I think if you could just sit down and understand that um, there's certain things in life that you can affect and you could uh, um, uh, sort of take care of on your own and sort of differentiate the things and the stressors in life that you can control and can't control. I think it, it's sort of a, uh, helps you out mentally and sort of takes your stress level down because you understand there's some things that no matter how hard you work, you, you know, 
there's nothing you can do about it. So take me through this. You make a list. There's 10 things on it. You sit and think about, okay, of those 10 things, six of them, I can't do anything about, but those, these four, I can. So those are the ones I'm going to tackle. Is that what you do? Yeah. Yeah. Because no matter what you do, you're, you're going to be wasting time on some things that, you know, you can't affect and that's not efficient at all. So you want to be efficient and take care of what you can. And for you, because I struggle with this <clears> to the <throat> point that my mother had given me that serenity prayer of, I think it's a God, what is it? Grant me the serenity to differentiate between the things that I can control and not. I'm butchering the prayer. And then it was I, don't like, know. Uh, I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm butchering it and I know what my mother gave it to me, but it was essentially saying, God, let me know the things that I can control and the things that I can't and give me the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Cause, she, cause I would just stress about everything. So my question to you is, that'll be the last question. The real last question is how are you able to differentiate on that list? What you can and can't control. Uh, I think you just need to focus on uh, things that, you know, you can. If you have, you know, a project or, or something that involves other people, you know, you can only take care of your um, portion of that job. You can only care, uh, take care of uh, the things that you directly, um, you can only study for that test. You can only prepare to, uh, you know, for your conditioning test, you know, there's only a certain amount of things that you uh, could probably think about that, you know, that only you will have effect on. And if it goes wrong, you will be the person to blame. So I think that, um, once you just differentiate between things that you can and can't control and you take the things you can't control and just throw them out, I think it'd be better off a little bit less stress-free. So Rob, I'm going to end this with a prayer. It's the first time and maybe the last time it ever happens on advanced training, but I have it in front of me now. It is God, grant me this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. 